Thank you for standing by, and welcome to the Cairo Payments Limited FY22 results conference call. All participants are in a listen-only mode. There will be a presentation followed by a question and answer session. If you wish to ask a question, you will need to press the star key followed by the number one on your telephone keypad. I would now like to hand the conference over to Mr. Robbie Cook, Managing Director and CEO. Please go ahead. Thanks. Good morning and welcome to Cairo's full-year results call. I'm joined by Prav Parler, our CFO, who will be presenting with me this morning, along with Giovanni Rizzo, our Head of Investor Relations. Our plan today is to focus on our published full-year results for FY22 and our key accomplishments in the year. We'll also talk about some areas of ongoing focus, provide an update on our trading for July and August, and for the first time, provide full-year guidance for the current financial year. Carl and I will spend about 30 minutes running through our results and we'll then take questions. We'll talk through the slide pack circulated earlier today, which is also available on our website. And just for noting, a recording of this morning's call will be posted on the investor section of our site shortly after this session to ensure those who are not able to dial in live can listen at their convenience. So, with the formalities out of the way, we'll get started. And before I talk about our results, I just wanted to reinforce what Tyra stands for and our position in the market. I've always been inspired by the tenacity and courage of the founding Tyra team. But back in 2003, challenged the status quo by building a truly unique Australian payments business. The emphasis then was to build a payment solution that better served Australia's SMEs, and that ambition remains a core part of Tyra's DNA today. Today, we work with more than 63,000 amazing businesses. We are genuinely inspired by their success and gain immense satisfaction in assisting them to grow and thrive. This is the essence of Tyro and what drives us as a team. We're creating an integrated commerce ecosystem with payments at its core, enhanced by value-adding features and products designed to attract new merchants and retain existing ones. The majority of our customers are small and medium-sized enterprises operating in the core verticals of health, hospitality and retail. Our proprietary purpose-built solutions have been designed with those merchants' needs and preferences in mind. Turning to slide three, could, and despite FY22 being a tougher year for our business, we nonetheless delivered a 10% lift in merchant numbers to now exceed 63,000 merchants trusting us for their payment needs. Of note, Tyro's core business, excluding Bendigo, grew its merchant base by 17% in a year. We increased the value of transactions we processed by 34%, reaching a record $34.2 billion. Of this, our Bendigo Alliance contributed $5.2 billion, outperforming our original estimate and first announcing the deal in October 2020. We lifted our revenue by 37% to $326 million. We increased our normalized gross profit by 24% to $148.5 million. We booked an EBITDA result of $10.7 million, noting that our first half EBITDA was $2.8 million, and our second half result was $7.9 million. Reflecting on the year, our performance was dampened by continuing COVID lockdowns in New South Wales, Victoria, and the ACT. This cost to boost an estimated $5 million in foregone EBITDA in the first half of the year. Our result also reflects the absence of the $4.5 million JobKeeper benefit we received in FY21, the first-time cost of the not-as-yet-earning-decreated Medipass acquisition, 
an additional headcount as originally flagged to conduct the Bendigo Alliance. Our second half provides a better line of sight to Tyro's performance potential without the impact of COVID and with the benefit of actions taken in the second half, including reducing headcount, controlling operating costs, and lifting our merchant service fees. These actions started to positively contribute in the, in the last quarter of the year and delivered improved operating leverage, as can be seen on slide six of the pack. These actions will remain a key focus in FY23 and are expected to yield further operating leverage improvements in the year. This will occur in parallel with a continuing focus on driving strong top-line growth, new to book merchant acquisition, and product innovation. Prav will spend a bit more time talking through these matters and our financial results in a, in a short moment. Turning now to slide 19 and providing some additional color around our payments operation. I think it's well understood that we operate in one of the most competitive industries globally. The payments landscape today is as competitive as it was five years ago, demonstrated by the entry of new international and domestic merchant acquirers, the establishment of new players, new investment and payment tech by the big four banks, and new payment types emerging, such as buy now, pay later, QR code payments, and the NPP. Despite this environment, Tyro has over the last five years continued to capture segment share, growing seven times the card present system growth rate. This has seen our segment share of card present payments reaching about 5% as of 30 June 2020, and our segment share to SMEs in health, hospitality, and retail reaching about 19%. As I mentioned, the value of transactions processed in the year lifted 34% to $34.2 billion, notwithstanding the lockdowns in the first half. The addition of the Bendigo Alliance for the full year contributed about $5.2 billion to this amount. Our growth is assisted by a 17% increase in merchants selecting Tyro as their payments provider, if you exclude our 17,000 Bendigo merchants. With our Bendigo merchants included, we ended the year with 63,770 active merchants on the books, to be precise. Our new health business, which incorporates Medipar, which was acquired in May 2021, added 2,263 new merchants through the year, seeing us end the year with 12,463 health merchants generating transaction value of $3.3 billion. Merchants in our three core verticals, health, hospitality, and retail, represented 85% of our merchant count and made up 91% of our transaction value for the year. Our strongest transaction value growth for core Tyro was delivered in our hospitality vertical, up 18%, with health also delivering an uplift of 18%, whilst our retail vertical grew 12%. Even more impressive, with our hospitality vertical, which grew 31% half one to half two in FY22. Our e-commerce transaction value continued to grow, generating $520 million in transaction value, a lift of 640%. Our largest base by transaction value contribution with New South Wales at 34%, followed by Queensland and Victoria both at 23%. All states other than New South Wales and Tasmania experienced double-digit transaction value growth. Victoria and the Northern Territory were the strongest at 23% and 29% respectively. New merchant sign-ups attracted approximately 1,200 new applications per month, 
with 55% of leads coming to us directly and 45% through partners and referrals. We now have 348 direct point of sale system integrations, up from 322 in FY21. We entered into an exclusive partnership to provide merchant acquiring services to Telstra's business customers through over 350 Telstra retail stores and Telstra business technology centres, as well as online. This new acquisition pipeline for Tyro has performed above our expectations and will, we believe, continue to be a strong application channel going forward. Tyro Connect continues to grow with about 2.2 million transactions processed by the platform compared with about 700,000 in FY21. With 1,009,000 terminals now in the field, we remain the largest, the fifth largest merchant acquiring bank by terminal count. Brand and retention continue to be a focus for our payments operation in the year. Our prompted brand awareness is now sitting at 19%, and our customer retention rates remain very strong, with churn measured by transaction value slightly up at 9.2% compared to 8.7% for FY21. And our churn rate metric by merchant number is 10.5% down from 11.3% in FY21. And finally, in the payment space, we launched our Tyro Day mobile card reader in May this year. This new terminal type aims to open up the trade vertical, provides a potential Q-busting solution for larger format retailers, and provides a fit-for-purpose solution for micro-merchants. Setting out the slide 24 and our banking products. Although our banking operations still only represents a small part of our overall business, it presents an alternative to the major banks and has strong prospects to continued growth. Our products are focused on providing our customers with innovative ways to meet their transactional banking and unsecured lending needs. Our Tyro bank account is a fee-free interest-earning transaction account just over 5,000 Tyro merchants were actively using the Tyro bank account up from about 4,600 a year ago, with close to $80 million on deposit at 30 June 2022, up from $72 million a year ago. Our term deposit offering, which is available through the Tyro app, sold $4 million in term deposits as of 30 June 2022. Our cash flow-based unsecured loan product is designed to assist SMEs in growing their businesses. Our business loan is repaid from a merchant-selected predetermined percentage of card transaction volumes as generated by the individual business and is offered on the basis of an upfront fee. The innovative feature of this product is a repayment cycle up or down in accordance with a merchant's daily card transaction volumes. Our merchant cash advance loans return to strong growth as we switch back to an automated loan approval process. This followed a period of manual approvals to mitigate the risks inherent due to COVID volatility. We also increased the maximum loan size from $120,000 to $350,000. With these benefits, we wrote close to $100 million in loan originations in a year compared with $26 million in FY21. Our average loan size in the year was around $47,000 compared to approximately $35,000 a year ago, with an average length of six months in line with last year's average. The team managed the risk within our portfolio closely over the period, 
with lending losses at $600,000 in a year. I'm now about to hand over to Prav, who's going to step us through our financial position in more detail, and then I will return to discuss our outlook. Thank you, Rebecca. And a very good morning to everyone on the line. If you could all please turn to page 11. The financial results were the tail of two halves, with all key metrics pleasingly improving progressively into the second half and beyond. Our strong balance sheet continued to allow us to weather the disruptions in the first half and sustain acceleration in top-line growth in the second. In summary, our transaction value growth was 34%, delivering a total of $34.2 billion for the year. Our group gross profit was up 24% to a record $148.5 million. We had normalized EBITDA of $10.7 million, up $7.9 million from an EBITDA of $2.8 million in the first half. I will be talking normalized numbers generally, but I will take you through all the adjustments through the statutory accounts as well. I'd like to focus on three key takeaways as you look through our results. Firstly, a rebound in growth in the second half of the year, increased focus on cost management, especially discretionary spend, and finally, the strength of our balance sheet especially capital and funding, as we highlight our pathway to free cash flow. Firstly, a rebound in our growth. Both our transaction values and loan originations achieved strong growth in the year. Our full-year transaction growth rate of 34% followed a very strong second half where our growth rate increased to 38%, accelerating from 31% for the first half, which we attribute to COVID-related disruptions. We processed a total of $34.2 billion for FY22, with $18.4 billion of this coming through in the second half. Payments gross profit, normalizing for the Bendigo profit share and switching costs, was $141.5 million, up 28% from the previous financial year. The lag to the transaction value growth rate reflects a 30% commission to Bendigo, as well as a deliberate deferral in repricing from the first half to the second. The uplift from pricing came from the last quarter for FY22, and we're now back to our normal rhythm of pricing reviews. Loan origination grew to $99 million for FY22. While still a relatively modest business when compared to our payments business, this was a new record for Tyrone, representing a 283% increase from $25.8 million in FY21. In the first half of FY22, we originated $36 million, which we almost doubled in the second half, exiting the year at a rate of $12 million per month. We recorded lending income of $5.5 million in FY22 compared to $3.2 million in FY21. The quality of the loans remained high, with a weighted average duration of just over six months consistent with the prior year. We recognized $0.6 million in loan losses for the year. As a result, our normalized gross profit grew by 24% compared to FY21. Discounting for job trigger income of $4.5 million included in the previous year, the year growth rate was 29%. The second item I'd like to draw your attention to is cost management and our approach to improving operating leverage without impacting delivery. I will go through our expenses in the next few slides, but, but as you can see, our operating expenses grew by 31% to $137.8 million, an increase of $32 million. It is important to note that FY22 was the first full year that included the operating costs for the Bendigo Alliance and the MediPath acquisition. These totaled $13.5 million, and excluding these costs, the underlying expense growth was 18%, the majority of which was in employee and contractor costs. 
I will provide more details on this shortly. Our market opportunity remains significant, and while we would like to keep investing in revenue generating and technology-related roles, we acknowledge the need to demonstrate sustained improvement in the trading leverage in the face of an uncertain external environment. As Robbie highlighted before, the best way to demonstrate our increase in focus Increased focus on cost management is by looking at our quarterly operating leverage metrics in FY22. Our fourth quarter operating leverage was 88.6%, which was significantly lower than the other three quarters of FY22, and will we'll continue to be managed down as per our guidance. As we look into FY23, we plan to hire only roles that are critical to our strategic priorities of growing our customer base and revenue, delivery of key projects, or generating efficiencies in the business. We will continue to take advantage of our access to contractors in the short term to expedite key deliverables as we have done in the last quarter. Our EBITDA was $10.7 million, of which almost $8 million was generated in the second half. The full year EBITDA was down from the $14.2 million in FY21. However, discounting for JobKeeper income of $4.5 million last year, our EBITDA was up by $1 million, excluding the $5 million we did not generate as a result of lockdowns in the first half. For the first time, we are providing an EBITDA guidance for FY23, which is expected to be between $23 million and $29 million, as well as targeting positive free cash flow as we exit FY23. Non-cash items for the year included $5.2 million in share-based payments expenses, and $20.5 million in depreciation and amortization. Share-based payments expenses were lower due to some releases from previous years, including the unvested equity following the CEO resignation in line with accounting standards. Depreciation and amortization expenses increased to $20.5 million, up from $14.7 million in FY21. This increase is a result of previously capitalized development costs, which are now in use and therefore being amortized an increase in the right of use assets for our new offices, as well as other capital additions. Our statutory net loss for the year was $29.6 million compared to $29.8 million in FY21, which includes $11 million from the amortization of the Bendigo intangible. Moving to the next slide, slide 12, our margins improved in the second half compared to the first. The unit margin decrease over recent years has been due to a combination of larger merchants coming on board, as well as the usual dynamic of underlying cost changes. Unlike last year, a change in card mix did not play a significant role for FY22. As noted in our first half year results, we deferred passing an increase in direct costs to our entire merchant base, including those in cost plus pricing, to allow them to recover from the impacts of COVID-19. The price increase was completed at the beginning of the fourth quarter, with an overall increase of two basis points in margin to the entire portfolio, excluding the Bendigo merchants. You can see this benefit come through in our net mass margin, which was up to 33.3 basis points in the second half, compared to 32.2 basis points in the first, reflecting one quarter's worth of increases. The page shows the Tyro core book, excluding Bendigo, to provide a like-for-like comparison. The Bendigo Alliance continues to perform in line with our estimates provided to the market. Transaction values for Bendigo were greater than our initial estimates, while gross profit margin of 37.8 basis points was just under one basis point lower, as these merchants are not subject to pricing review at this point. With conditions post-COVID now fairly back to normal, our repricing cadence has been reinstated, and our next review is currently underway. 
Moving on to our operating cost base on slide 13, the three main areas of increases were employee and contractor costs, communications, hosting, and license costs, and other administrative expenses. Excluding share-based payments expenses, permanent employee costs grew by $17 million, or 23% year-over-year, to $92.6 million. As I mentioned earlier, this is the first full year of the Bendigo and Many Parts costs. Nine out of the $17 million can be attributed to these acquisitions, which added a net 73 new team members. The remaining $8 million are explained by salary increases and the annualization of a net increase of 57 new hires in FY22 in the title core business, mainly in the technology and customer functions. These were all exclusively in the first half of the year. Our number of permanent employees peaked at 628 at March 2022, reducing to 612 as of today. Tyro's salary review cycle is on a calendar year basis and the second half saw the impact of an average annualized salary increase of 4.3% across all teams. Our guidance includes the annualization of the pay increases that, that were effective 1 January 2022. As Robbie mentioned, we're very much focused on deliver, delivering certain strategic initiatives in FY23. In particular, the Tyro Go Card Reader, the Android-based Tyro Pro, and automated customer onboarding. To balance the quality and timeline of delivery and without committing to costs into the long term, we have tapped into our various partners, <coughs> into our various partners to source project-based contractors. As you saw earlier, the number of contractors peaked at 140 in May, and as phases of the various projects get completed, these are being rolled off, getting close to 100 as of today. Our focus on operating leverage allows us to assess and pivot our spend quickly relative to top-line income. Overall, our contractor and consulting expenses were $13.8 million, up from $7.2 million in FY21. In addition, $7 million were, were capitalized in the financial year, giving you a view of our total cash spend. Communication, hosting, and licensing costs increased by $4.4 million year on year. These were largely growth-related as we continue to roll out terminals for the Bendigo customer base and progressively increase their transactions processed on Tyro Switch. Licensing costs increased as we invested in our CRM system as well as general headcount growth-related license costs compared to the prior year. Additionally, we invested in cybersecurity, open banking, and tools to make our project delivery more efficient. We will continue to assess bills by all license decisions based on what will deliver the greatest return on investment for our shareholders over the long term. Finally, administrative costs increased by $4.2 million, including approximately $2 million in recruiting key roles, including relocation costs. Terminal management and logistics costs increased in line with greater merchant base. Training, travel, and entertainment activities which were paused for much of the prior year, resumed during FY22. I would consider a significant portion of these costs to be discretionary and expect to reduce as per our guidance provided. On the right, you can see the buildup of our costs with a quarter four operating expense run rate expected to be maintained for FY23. Turning briefly over to slide 14, we have clearly laid out the normalization adjustments that allow you to see the true operating position of the group 
I do think this is a really important reference slide given the statutory accounting treatment of our Bendigo Alliance. The accounting treatment puts significant costs below the line as well as substantial intangible assets and liabilities upfront on our balance sheet. On a statutory basis, the accounts do not recognize a gross profit share, but instead an amortization of intangible. We therefore normalize for this by deducting the commission from the statutory gross profit to provide the commercial reality of the transaction. This will be one adjustment that you will always need to make to the statutory accounts. The remaining adjustments are temporary costs we incur in the period while the Bendigo merchants have been onboarded to Tyro. Once the rollout is complete, which we expect to be in the coming financial year, these costs will cease. I'll leave you at this page and I'll be happy to take any questions on these adjustments later. The final takeaway is the strength of our balance sheet, in particular our liquidity and capital positions. At 30th June 2022, we had total cash and investments of $122.8 million on the balance sheet, down from $172.8 million in FY21. As an unrestricted ADI, Tyro is able to raise deposits as a stable and competitive source of funding. Our liquidity ratios remain well ahead of internal requirements, with adequate liquidity to fund our strategy and allow us to exit FY23, generating positive free cash flow. The reduction of $49.5 million in liquidity is explained largely by the growth in our loans book, as well as capital expenditure within the year. In particular, our capex was $33.5 million, which included $14 million on terminals, circa $10 million on the fit-out of our new offices, and around $7 million in internally generated intangibles. Our banking outflows were a net $16 million, as the loan book grew by around $24 million, offset by inflows from deposits of circa $8 million. We paid around $5 million in remediation payments and $4.7 million in Bendigo transition fees. These outflows were offset by $10.7 million in generated in positive EBITDA and minor movement in working capital. Our capital position remains strong with a capital ratio of 39%, which is multiple above our prudential capital requirements. This trend has allowed us to pursue both organic growth as well as inorganic growth with the Bendigo Alliance and the Medipass Medi acquisition last year. The capital ratio movement from 73% last year to 39% this year is due to a combination of $70 million increase in recorded assets and a decline of $12 million in regulatory capital. To provide more detail, the $70 million increase in, in, in recorded assets is primarily made up of an upfront recognized right of use asset as well as fit-outs relating to our offices at 55 Market Street, totaling $41 million, an increase in our loan balance, which grew to $39.5 million, up from $15.4 million in FY21, a growth of $24 million, and an increase in fixed assets, including terminals, as well as other working capital movements. The decline in total capital is our net statutory loss of $29.6 million, less share-based payment expenses, losses from associates, and the unwind of the Bendigo and other intangibles, giving us a regulatory net loss of $12 million. The intangibles and investments in associates are already deducted from capital upfront and therefore will be neutral or positive to capital going forward. Other than the growth in our loans book, which we will continue to utilize our capital for, majority of the capital reductions have come from significant acquisitions and one-offs in the last two years. 
we incurred $33.5 million in capital expenditure, which is slightly below the forecast we provided of $34 million. We're expecting to incur another $35 million in FY23. As we finalize the Bendigo rollout, fund our organic growth with our configuration and purchase of Tyro Pro Terminal and Tyro Go regions, as well as deliver automated onboarding. We look forward to delivering these in FY23. That is a summary of the financials for FY22. Recapping the key messages, we saw a rebound in growth in the second half of the year in both our payments and banking businesses and continue to expect solid performance in FY23. We continue to focus on cost management and demonstrating meaningful improvements in operating leverage, and we have strong capital and funding to deliver our strategy and target to exit FY23, generating free positive cash flow. We have for the first time provided our guidance on key metrics for FY23, and I will pass back to Robbie to provide both the training update and earnings guidance. Thanks, Brad. Um, so, we've had a very strong start to FY23. Our transaction values for the year to the 26th of August are up 57%, sitting at $6.3 billion. With the strongest growth coming through New South Wales up 118%, and Victoria up 70%. Bendigo transaction values were up 8% for July. That's all translates through to normalised gross profit from our payments business for July after Bendigo commissions, um, up 46%, sitting at $14.1 million. Loan originations for the 28th of August were sitting at $20 million. That's up 91% on the same period last year. As part mentioned, for the first time, we're providing earnings guidance for FY23, and the following guidance spans are provided. First up, transaction value being between $40 billion and $42 billion for FY23. Gross profit after Bendigo Commission between $175 million and $181 million. We're targeting an operating leverage position of circa 85% and an EBITDA result between $23 million and $29 million. And as far mentioned, the business is targeting being free cash flow positive on exiting FY23. As we've stated, actions taken in the second half of FY22, including reducing headcount, controlling operating costs, and margin management, will remain a key focus for the business for the balance of FY23 to drive our operating leverage position. This will, however, occur in parallel with a continuing focus on driving strong top-line growth, new-to-book merchant acquisition, and product innovation. And to that end, some of the key priorities for us in the year are a continued focus on the needs of Australian SMEs with our differentiated, differentiated offering leveraging our proprietary tech. And increasing our focus on the health vertical, combining many parts in our existing health business to create a class-leading health payments and claiming business in Australia. Refining our approach to servicing micro-merchants. As Prav mentioned, automated merchant onboarding and servicing, launching new payments devices, including the Tyro Go Reader and our new Android-based Tyro Pro Terminal, targeting the trade services and accommodation verticals with industry-relevant features and products, expanding our merchant acquisition footprint through new partnerships and alliances, providing a unified commerce offering to merchants, including card presence and e-commerce payments, banking and data insights, 
and expanding our portfolio of banking products and leveraging our valuable banking license. So that ends the uh, formal presentation and we'll move on to Q&A. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the conference operator with temporary lost connection with the speaker line. Please continue to hold and the conference will recommence shortly. Pardon me, now when reconnected, please go ahead. Hello, so it's Pyro back on the line. I'm, I'm not sure if we, if we got to the end of the presentation or not, but we're happy to take Q&A. Or if people missed everything, we're happy to uh, circle back on any of the presentations. Sorry, can we please go into Q&A now? Thank you. If you wish to ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone and wait for your name to be announced. If you wish to cancel your request, please press star 2. If you're on a speakerphone, please pick up the handset to ask your question. Your first question comes from Bob Chen from JP Morgan. Please go ahead. 
Morning, guys. Uh, just a few questions for me. Um, just looking at the trading update for July, it looks like you've um, yeah, delivered 2.2 million bucks of EBITDA for that month. Uh, and then looking at your guidance for the full year, it, it seems to assume that that's sort of the run rate for, for the next 12 months. Um, like, how should I think about that, given uh, yeah, there's a bit more of a focus on um, the OPEX line uh, in your business as well? Yeah, thanks, OPEX. It's proud here. Uh, so, look, broadly speaking, yes, that, that can be assumed as a run rate. So, in coming up with our guidance, there's a couple of things we've assumed. We've assumed that we'll continue working in our cost base, especially the discretionary spend. Now, a lot of that we have already started in the fourth quarter. So, as we exit at the end of July, you can already see the results of that coming through. From a margin perspective, we have assumed a static margin, effectively, um, which gives us allowance to onboard larger merchants as well, allowances um, in case of significant increases in international transaction value. Um, and we've held a steady state uh, from the second half on our on our loan originations. Um, obviously, the one expense item that you've factor in again um, is our salary review cycle, which was set in the 1st of January 2023. Okay, great. And then just in terms of that cost base, I mean, um, there's obviously uh, quite a lot being invested. Like, are you able to break out you know, what's being invested for you know, true growth um, in the business versus what's um, sort of the ongoing just maintenance OPEX and then you know, how much of that OPEX is also allocated to the banking part of the business as well? Yeah, so we haven't broken it based on banking and payments. Um, I think the best way to look at what's project-related um, would be our contractor base. So we are actually, we actually accelerated investment into that, especially for our three key deliverables that, that are expected to come out in FY23. Um, and as we complete each phase of those, uh, those are being rolled up. So you, so you can actually see that, that coming down. Um, like I mentioned, we'd be very, very keen to be investing our revenue generating and our technology functions. Uh, but at this point in time, we're, we're keeping a steady state. Okay, sure, no worries. And then just finally, um, just on competition, I think you've got a slide in there on uh, page 28 that just looks at uh, the different growth between the other four major banks, yourself, and some of the other non-bank members as well. Can you talk a little bit about you know, how come Mab's sort of uh, starting to grow a little bit quicker and um, you guys seem to be slowing down a little and then and there's also that other category out there that's growing pretty quickly. Like what, what, what's happening across just the whole competitive environment? Yeah, Bob and Rob, Robert here on that one. Look, the, um, the terminal growth numbers, a little bit of caution on our 109,000 increase. What we've found as we're, roll, as we're rolling the um, Bendigo fleet out and replacing it with ours, a lot of those Bendigo merchants had multiple terminals and actually now aren't requiring three. They might require one instead of the three they had. So there's a bit of... Um, Bit of a uh, efficiency gain there, I suppose, in terms of that terminal um, spread um, required for the Bendigo merchants. Um, can't can't tell you what's going on in our book, but in terms of the other um, the other um, the non Auspaynet stack, I mean, that's got a multitude of different players in there. It's got Pfizer, it's got Bank of Queensland. Um, so so again, it's a combination of um, various players. Um, and it's terminal numbers, not necessarily transaction value. So I think just I just exercise a little bit of caution around some of those numbers. You know, it's the 
a transaction value for us is the most relevant stat, um, but we've always put that terminal count just to give an idea of what our actual land, our land-based terminals look like versus the pack. Okay, great. And I mean, just in terms of that competition, then, um, are you seeing more pricing competition or um, maybe capability or tech-based competition that's happening in the market? Look, it's, it, the, the, the dynamic in the market really hasn't changed. I mean, we've, we've always had, you know, from time to time, some players go you know, do some price um, price competition, which is fine for the nature of the market. Um, we, you know, we have a very good view of what the um, what the pricing portfolio looks like across the SME landscape by vertical and by size, and we we price um, where we where we can see a profitable outcome. Uh, we don't chase we won't chase volume um, and, and do it on a loss basis. So we've got some very strict discipline in the way we price. But um, look, there's, there's competition on often time to time on pricing. There's competition on feature sets. We're very comfortable that we, you know, we've got in the bag a very strong offer. Uh, we've got um, you know features out there. For example, our surcharging feature, you know, is something a lot of our merchants use, and it's very attractive and easy to implement. Uh, we've obviously now got our new um, our, our reader, the Taro um, Go device, which gives us an opportunity in that micro space we've never played in before. And we're you know very excited about having a Taro Pro device out in market. And, you know our focus with Taro Pro, which is different to how others have introduced Android terminals, similarly to how we rolled out the Optimo and Yamani terminals, where we control the features because we own the the tech sitting on the terminal, we're taking the exact same approach with the Ingenico DX8000 device, building the um, actual payments app that sits on that terminal rather than taking an off-the-shelf solution, which um, minimizes your opportunity to actually do um, specific or customized features for verticals, which is where we compete very strongly. So we're maintaining that, pure, that, that, that approach which gives us more competitive leverage in the market by having the ability to build specific solutions for particular verticals. Great. Thanks, Robbie. Thank you. Your next question comes from Tim Piper from UBS. Please go ahead. Oh, good morning, Robbie and Carl. Thanks for the questions. Um, just quickly, just on the uh, follow-up on the 1Q23 update and also what you're seeing on the acquiring margin side. If I sort of break it down, obviously um, one ancient rates is a bit of a step up there. It's been offset by your pricing that's come through. Is it right to back count uh, for the first quarter taking a trading? You did sort of 3.4 almost billion for the month of July at 14.1. That's sort of 41.5 percent of the GDP margin line for payments. It's kind of stepped back a little bit from the second half. Is that just the, the, the increase in acquiring fees sort of flowing through into the 1H23 period so far? Yeah, uh, sorry, Tim. I didn't quite clearly get the back count you were you were mentioning. If you don't mind just repeating that, please. Hi, Tim. Can you hear us? Yeah, sorry. July GDP was 14.1 million, and then your payments as per the trading update is 3.387 billion. That's sort of uh, 41 and a half, 41.5 basis points. Right. So just thinking, like looking at the chart that you always provide around, it was sort of 42.4 in the payments GP in the second half. Is that, am I interpreting it correctly, it's kind of set back down a bit in July? Yeah, 
No. So the 42.4 is the core Tyro payments margin. Uh, the group margin, if you actually look at from our, our particular account, that, that will be about 41. And the reason for that is a significant portion, uh, Bendigo becomes a significant portion of our total transaction value, and that has a 30% commission payment out to it. So when we say a total payment uh, margin for July, that will include the Bendigo book as well. Okay, so it's basically in line with the second, second H22 run rate then to us as well. It's slightly better. It's in line with the last quarter of FY22. Yeah, okay. No problem. Sorry, I got it. Um, can we just uh, step through your CapEx um, for 23 in a little bit more detail if possible? Um, obviously, you got into 35. There was sort of 10 mil office fit out in 22, which I assume is not there. The, the software and uh, capitalization development where uh, cost was 7 million. Uh, just, do we sort of assume that that seven million grows roughly in line with the opex, or are we sort of expecting a more significant step up in that seven million in capex in twenty three? We're we're probably expecting a, a slight um, pick up for FY twenty three. So that thirty five million capex is made up of roughly about twenty one million dollars in terminals, um, which will also conclude our Bendigo rollout. It would also include development uh, work that we're completing our Tyro Go terminals and our Tyro Pro terminals, um, as well as the purchase of the Tyro Go and the Tyro Pro. Um, in terms of um, the actual intangibles that we capitalized um, in the, like I said, in the last quarter especially, which will flow into the next year, we will be delivering uh, those three key projects. So we are looking to step that up slightly, not, not huge. I mean, overall, our 7 million capitalization is fairly low. We're probably looking at between 10 and 12 next year. Oh, okay, so terminals is going from 14 to, to 21 in FY23. Did I get that correctly? That is correct, and that is, that is the cash flow. Some of that is uh, just payments that will that, that timing difference that comes from between June and July as well. Yeah, got it. Uh, just, sorry, two more two more quick ones. Can you give us a sense on the contribution of many parts now, sort of at the EBITDA line at all? Uh, not many parts uh, itself. Um, we look at it as more a Cairo health business unit, uh, but from just many parts uh, at this point, not a material contribution to the accounts. Okay, got it. Thanks. And then just a final one, just pulling out or stripping out the thing, you're going numbers and just looking at core Tyro. Just in the second half, just interested in your take on what sort of you're seeing out there in the merchant base. If we kind of look at transaction value per merchant, so obviously stepped up strongly in the second half as we sort of you know, come out of lockdowns and all the rest of it. It uh, doesn't look to be quite back at sort of a peak. Uh, in terms of that, do you think there's still constraint out there or is this more of a business mix? I mean, I know you guys are sort of targeting to move up into larger merchants as well. Is there any sort of context you can give in terms of the spend per merchant you're seeing going through uh, the terminal, the Tyro terminal base at the moment? Nothing definitive. I mean, you're definitely right in the um, in the conclusion that it's increased in the second half because of the disruptions compared to the first half. Uh, I mean, there's two things which we're following closely. Don't have an answer for that yet. Is uh, just the change in the inflation rate. So obviously, as the prices go up, um, we feel that more transaction value goes through the terminals. At the same time, as inflation interest rates also go up. The discretionary spend is assumed that consumers will be spending a bit less. But 
it is something we're following quite closely. It is one that we don't have an answer to um, at this point. Obviously, international um, is beginning to come back. Um, it's kind of plateaued at about 1.7% as you see on the chart in the investor presentation. Um, so as that obviously increases, um, the average transaction value should go up theoretically. Uh, but look, nothing definitely. Hello, Ken, the only thing I'd add to that probably is in relation to Victoria, whilst it grew well for the first um, you know, first part of the FY23 period, it's still you know, it's only growing 70%. I think Victoria still has some challenges, and I think we haven't seen a full bounce back on our Victorian merchant base, generally speaking. Okay, great. Thanks. I'll, I'll jump back in the queue. Thank you. Your next question comes from Brendan Curry from Macquarie. Please go ahead. Uh, good morning, everyone. Um, so just a couple of questions from me. Can we just maybe start on the merchant application? So uh, I think if I'm calculating correctly, it was roughly a 50-50 split uh, of about 7,400 uh, new merchant applications in each half. Can you just talk to the mix of those merchant applications in the second half? Um, as I think there was Lightspeed, um, who were a, a key referrer of yours, I think started to to go direct and do their own products. So I'm just wanting to get a bit of a sense of if that mix has shifted and, and if you've become more reliant on your um, external um, sales partners or referring organisations, um, or if there's been any shifts there. Look, Brendan, I mean, as I called out, our, our run rate direct to applications and is still running 55 direct and 45 to partner channels. Um, we're still working with Lightspeed, so yeah, Lightspeed, we've, we've still got um, a strong relationship there. Um, they are using some other referral partners as well, but they're still working very closely with us, so um, that hasn't resulted in a material change in mix. The, I suppose the direct the referral networks that we have in place now, we're seeing, as I mentioned, Telstra is coming through strongly, and that continues to build month to month. Um, Telstra does tend to play, I mean, the, the, it's more on the small side, so that's the nature of um, the merchants coming through there. Um, and we're still, we've still got a healthy pipeline of large merchants um, that, that the, our key account team's working on. So the, no dramatic shifts in the mix. Um, nothing that I'd, I'd be calling out as um, fundamentally changed half one to half two. Okay. Um, okay. Cool. Thanks. And then, um, Prab, I think you just mentioned actually on the, the the margin assumption in the guidance. Can you just maybe elaborate on the international transaction mix that is assumed? Uh, as I mean, it's at 1.7 percent now, but if that was to trend back towards, you know, to obviously towards the four or so percent that you were seeing pre-COVID, that would have a negative impact on the margin. So, just interested in the assumption for the recovery of international. Yeah, yeah, sure, not no problems. Um, so, so we are seeing the internationals um, obviously increase from last year. So, it went from about 0.7 last year to about 1.7 uh, this year. Uh, if you actually look at the chart and page 21, it seems to have plateaued around around that level. We are definitely in our forecast assuming that it does go up, but probably more so in the second half of the year. Um, shouldn't really impact our guidance in terms of the top line, because if it does come through, your transaction value should go up, your unit margin would be valuable, but it would still be the same dollar level gross profit. Um, but it is a key one, so, so one that you'd probably need to take a view on. The other thing I would say is uh, with the Bendigo book coming in and, and contributing about five 
to five and a half billion dollars. Um, from what we see with the transition merchants so far, um, there isn't a significant um, international transaction mix. So if that assumption holds all throughout, um, I would not see us going back to the 5% that we were pre-COVID. Um, so probably more FP, probably more closer to 3.5% or so. Okay, that's clear. And then, sorry, last question. Is there any update to provide just on the CEO uh, transition, Robbie, or um, yeah, the progress on, on sort of finding the, your replacement? Look, I, I might jump in on that one. Look, it's, um, that's something um, A, I'm not, I'm not privy to, as you'd understand. Um, but look, the, as, as the board's communicated, there's an external and internal search process going on. That when there's news to announce, I mean, that the, the board will come out with something on that front. So, look, Ben and I, I I'm probably not the right person to be making a statement on that one, but that's the state of play at the moment. All right, I'll leave it there for now. Thank you. Thank you. Your next question comes from John Campbell from Jeffries. Please go ahead. Good morning. I had two questions, if I may. Um, when we actually have a look on your balance sheet, um, we can see uh, a lot of intangible assets there. Can we just get a feeling about the about how confident you are that you've got enough capital. I know you've got a lot of regulatory capital, but just interested in the carrying value of the intangibles. Yeah, um, hey John. Uh, so we do, we do have a significant number of intangibles on, on our balance sheet, um, and uh, the biggest one is, is Bendigo. Uh, so from the accounting standards, it requires us to carry that intangible upfront over a, over the period of the deal. Um, so that's 110 million. We do have to actually for impairment is part of our accounting post. Uh, and as we presented, um, the actual results of the Bendigo transaction um, are slightly better than where we had um, in, our, in our forecast. So no indicators of impairment on the Bendigo. Uh, then we've got Medipass, which is again a significant intangible on our balance sheet. Uh, same thing, we um, have tested it for impairment. Um, Health is, is an amazing opportunity, um, and the complexity is effectively the mouth. So um, from what we have seen in development since we acquired many parts, um, if anything, the value is, is, is much greater than what we're carrying on the balance sheet. Um, as I mentioned, in terms of, we, we do have a very conservative accounting policy in terms of um, intangibles that we put on the balance sheet from internal development. Um, so last year we put, 7 million um, on the balance sheet, and they are definitely for transactions or for development that provides us value into the future. Um, we've already started using some of these, um, hence amortizing some of these. From a capital perspective, um, as they come on the balance sheet, they are directly deducted from capital, and, and that is one of the reasons why our capital has actually come down um, in the last year and a half is because all those are an upfront deduction. So as they then flow through the P&L, um, there is either a neutral or a positive impact to our capital position. So does that suggest that the statutory shareholder funds continue to, to decline? The statutory shareholder funds. So your statutory shareholder funds would be um, in line with your regulatory uh, uh, results which, um, as I mentioned, was about $12 million in the year. Sorry, sorry, can I just go back, because it is an important point. So does that imply going forward we should expect to see the statutory shareholder funds decline? The intangibles? No, the total value of net shareholder funds. Probably not. For, um, I don't think it should, because as we amortise the intangibles, the deductions 
decline, and that washes through to the PL, which comes to the retimes earnings. Okay. Um, just the other one, just on slide 13, um, you talk about uh, all the operating costs and some really good disclosures there. But one of the things that you talk about is the reduction in the staff numbers. But then I see down, you talk about uh, basically um, non-permanent, uh, well, basically consult admin expenses increasing for basically um, consulting people that are basically filling full-time jobs. Can you just give us a feeling on whether staff retention is an issue? Um. Yeah, great question. So again, one of the things I mentioned, we did actually accelerate um, investment into our three key initiatives in that last quarter. So if you actually look at um, page seven of the pack, that's when we accelerated um, using the contractor cost to make sure that we're delivering these on time without having to hire permanent people that would commit us into the longer term. So as we are completing the phases of those projects, um, we're driving down the, the contractor numbers. Um, anything else on that right? Any other questions, John? Yeah, I did. Just a final one, if I may. We had the RBA increased in interest rates in May, June, July. They'll probably do the same thing in August. Um, is there any explicit rate forecast that you're using in your guidance numbers going forward? In terms of our lending income? No, in terms of just what you're seeing in your businesses, potentially as liquidity drains out of the system as the RBA increases interest rates. Yeah, so um, so we look at our business in two ways. So one is the banking business and the other one is the payments business. So from a banking perspective, um, we're, we we have loans at a very short duration, so about six, six months, which is consistent the prior year. Um, and an increase in um, interest rates is actually positive for short-term assets uh, like ours. Uh, from our deposits perspective, um, again, majority of those are on hold and, and, and short-term. So the way we look at our guidance is effectively a, a fully funded asset position uh, from, from our deposit side. Um, so whatever increases we would factor in, and, and I wouldn't probably call out the exact rates, but whatever increases we factor in, um, the loan income would offset more than offset from the um, deposits increase in interest rates. Um, we don't have any wholesale funding. And sorry, um, um, perhaps I'm more, I haven't expressed that clearly. I'm more in, interested in is rates rising, does it become actually a problem in the transactions business? Are you, so are you worried about merchants failing in that business? Yeah. As a result no, of not merchants yeah. failing, but people just have less money in their pockets, so they spend less. So merchant transactions go down. I'm just wondering, have you got something explicitly in there for that? Yeah, that's what I was trying to explain before. Um, so we're following that really closely, and I don't have an answer for you on that one. So one side of the argument is that the inflation goes up, the actual prices go up, and therefore the transaction value that goes through our machines is higher. Uh, on the other side, uh, obviously, as you mentioned, with people having less money in their pocket, discretionary spend goes down. So the question is, what is the net of the two? Uh, don't have an answer, but what I can tell you is what we forecast internally and what we're seeing is actually slightly better than what we forecast so far. Uh, and John, all, all I'd add on top of that is, you know, to date with the rate environment we've been in, we've seen no, no impact. And the other, the other side of the ledger, I suppose, in that one is, 
big part of our growth is coming from taking share from elsewhere in the system. So, you know, so whilst we continue to grow our merchant uptake and we, you know, keep punching above that 1,200 new sign-ups every month, I mean, that, that's sort of the other mitigant there if there were an impact going down the road with, um, with the economic environment due to the rate environment. Thank you very much. Thank you. Your next question comes from Elijah Meyer from CLSA. Please go ahead. Good morning, guys. And just a couple from me. Maybe just firstly on churn. We've had merchant churn. That's sort of come down a bit in transaction value churn. They're up a little bit. Can you just sort of talk us through the mechanics there and are you sort of, I guess, churning through higher value merchants to get to those figures? Yeah, look, the, the actual transaction value churn number, you know, is pretty benign in the scheme of things. It did kick up a little bit. Um, and it would indicate, you know, that probably some less micros and perhaps some more small might have churned in the mix. So that's the call out I'd make there. Probably the most important one that we, we focus on in terms of just our performance, though, in terms of retention of merchants is obviously the merchant count churn. And that has improved, right? So that's actually um, come back a bit. So we're comfortable with that. And, you know, what we've said in the past, and it still maintains true today, and that merchant count churn, about half of that is merchants going out of business. That actually hasn't changed over the years. But the, the, So we, we're pretty comfortable with how we're performing in terms of merchant retention. But you're right, there's slight, slight deterioration in the transaction value churn, which just... Would, would indicate a skew from micro to probably smaller and a little bit larger than small in terms of churn rates. Yeah, and I, and I guess if we're looking on a first half, second half basis, it's looked like it stepped up in the second half. Is there any sort of, I guess, particular call-outs there, a change in environment? I mean, were there sort of initiatives put through during COVID lockdowns to keep merchants and transaction values sort of, I guess, plugging through. I just wanted to see if, if that momentum sort of shifted or, or sort of how you're seeing it at the start. Yeah, Elijah, it's, it's, it's so small to be, um, you, you couldn't call out a thematic on the back of what we've seen. So I'd, I'd suggest there's nothing nothing to particularly call out on that front. It is, it is a very fine um, change in, in uh, transaction value churn rates. So both, um, yeah, nothing, nothing changed in our way we're treating merchants or Dealing with merchants with any hardship issues, that's all consistent. We, you know, we're, we're always um, we always err on the side of the merchant if there are issues in their performance, and so yeah, nothing nothing has changed that would um, warrant a call out. No problem. And then maybe secondly, on I guess looking at your market share between your core segments, uh, you sort of close to that 20% mark. Do you guys have I guess internal views on where you can get to from a market share perspective? across those core segments and particularly yeah. hospitality yeah. and retail? Yeah, well, a couple of things I call out there. Our overall market share of the total car present, car not present market sitting at 5.1%. I mean, we are nascent would be how I would describe our position. Um, when we call out our penetration in that sort of the core vertical health hospitality and retail, that is a proxy that we've always put in there. It is only SME, so it's merchants between $50,000 in in transaction value to five million in transaction value, which we are well and truly paying outside those bands, both on the upper end of the scale. You know, our biggest merchants are sitting around about five hundred million in transaction value. So it it doesn't truly represent, I suppose, um, 
the penetration we could have in 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 retail, in hospital, and in health. So I think there's still a lot of upside to be had there as we start winning more large merchants in our feature set really does play well for those larger merchants. And look, on the other side of the ledger, there's less than 50,000 in transaction value. We haven't had a solution for that part of the market today in those verticals. So now we've got the Puff, the Faro, Go, Reader, uh, we can actually start playing more aggressively in that space as well. So look, um, I, I, I would point to Elijah more to what is our share of the total market, and that, that's that 5.1% mark and why we are interested in pushing beyond those three core verticals and looking at the trade space, looking at the services space, and looking at the accommodation space, because we know they are underserved. They have feature core solutions currently, and we think we can do plenty in that space. So um, we're, we're uh, excited about the opportunity sitting in front of us. No problem. And, and I guess in that trade and services space, is there any sort of early headways that's being made to date? Are, are you sort of transactioning? volumes at the moment um, that's worth calling out? Yeah. In that space, but because we have only had, yeah. the, the trade space really did need the Farrago reader, which only went to market um, in May. And look, there's still a little bit of work to be done there for the general availability, but the fully automated onboarding for anybody buying a Farrago reader is something that's in train at the moment, it's one of the projects I've mentioned. Um, so that sort of needs to be rolled out before we can actually get in there and start aggressively chasing um, chasing the segment. Thanks for the question. Thank you. Your next question comes from Scott Fraser from Morgan's Financial. Please go ahead. Uh, good morning, um, and thanks again for uh, what is finally some communication to the market about uh, your results and uh, where you're seeing the company going. Uh, I just wanted to focus on slide 13, the operating cost basis. Um, really, where do you guys see the easy easy wins here? And I know you're focusing on headcount, but um, <clears throat> that first point with regards to the new staff from Medipass and Bendigo seems to suggest that there's uh, some big chunky teams that you've added recently. Uh, and my second question would be around, uh, are you guys seeing a peak in the uh, the cost in the contractors and is that starting to taper off? Thanks, yeah, Scott. Yeah, thanks, Scott. Thanks for the question. Look, I might take first bit and then throw it to Prav and Giovanni if I've got anything to add. But look, in terms of Bendigo and Medipark, look, just to put that in context, when we announced um, the Bendigo deal in October 2020, uh, we called out very clearly in our pack what the extra headcount we needed for that bit of business. So look, that um, this is the the year, FY22 is the year when that cost actually came into the P&L, and so that's sort of the base to serve Bendigo. So that's now in, and that will be you know, that will continue. Um, but you know, it's just part of servicing you know, that great opportunity with you know five billion dollars in transaction value, which is growing eight percent, know, which is really good, and it's got more growth potential in it. Um, in terms of Medipark, 23 team members that came on board, the, 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 and we call this out when we, you know, release when we bought Medipark as well. Medipark for us provides um, a unique set of claiming rails that we didn't have, which gets us into the, the uh, statutory compensatory funding piece. So the things like eye care, MBIS, Workers' Comp Board, and Queensland, um, and, and, and WA as well. So. That headcount that we applied there, technologists that are really expert in that space built that solution. It was a piece that was missing in our in our mix. We were Tyro Health was great in the claiming piece um, for health, but we didn't have those other those other claiming um, rails, which really 
enables us to provide an all-encompassing solution to healthcare practitioners. So that headcount again, um, where we bought that business to get that skill set, and they were a key part of that. Of that. So they're, they're, they're part of the story going forward. Um, what we're excited about in health is we've brought those, the, the claiming piece for Tyro together with the extra rails with Medipass. We've now got a fully chart present and digital solution, which provides a great offer for um, healthcare practitioners, which means we're much more competitive in the market. So, um, you know, stay tuned for this financial year, but that's, that business is actually performing strongly, and we've now got a really all-encompassing product solution. But I might throw over to you if there's anything else you want to add on that front in the cost. Day. No, n- nothing in terms of the normalised cost. I think you've covered everything. The only thing is, um, from a statutory perspective, we've obviously got some choppiness as we roll out bending out, so there's some transition costs, and that will, as I mentioned, seems to exist once that um, fully on board. Sorry, I didn't mean for those uh, Medica- Medipass and Benigo to be the, the main emphasis of my question. It was really around are you where you see the easy wins uh, for your cost price uh, reduction and, uh, sorry, your operating cost price production, reduction as well as with your contractors and consulting expenses. Uh, do you guys feel like you've seen peak uh, peak costs there, and and are they starting to taper off at all? I think um, uh, if you go to slide seven, um, that would suggest where our headcount um, has peaked. Um, in terms of contractors, we did actually um, go fairly high in the last quarter, just to make sure that we got everything we needed to start delivering those those key projects, and they're now tapering off. Um, Easy wins, as I mentioned, discretionary costs. Um, there, where our focuses are in terms of easy wins. Um, I mean, 70% of our cost base is staff cost, which is why we do flex with contractors, so we can have project-related headcount that we don't lock into the long term. Great, thank you. Thank you. There are no further questions at this time. I'll now hand back to Mr. Cook for closing remarks. So I'd like to thank everybody for their time and interest today, and uh, and we'll we'll talk again soon, I'm sure. That does conclude our conference for today. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect.